My name is Ben Kiebrick, and this is Selects. Selects is the show for people looking to listen to something new. And today is the Halloween episode. You're lying on your back, staring at the stars, on a boat in the lake. The air is warm and humid, and it smells like wet mulch with a salty hint of the nearby ocean. You're about to fall asleep when you feel a familiar sensation, a pull that you felt hundreds of times, thousands, for lifetimes and lifetimes. The boat starts to melt, and you feel the warm water all around you. You take a final breath, and then submerge. Staring at the rippling mirror above you, it starts to shrink into a window, and then just a single point as the water changes from turquoise to indigo to black. You've been here before, thousands and thousands of times, but you can't remember the last time you were here why you're here now. You just know that you're heavy, oh so heavy, and about to enter a new world. This is the Lamplight Radio Play. like they're in the trading room. I don't think we can run away. Get a chair. If he comes in, throw it at him and we charge him and get his gun. Holy crap. Tell me if you have something better. No. By the door, quickly. Amidst all the tragedy in the Pierce Henry Investments building, we wanted to bring you this story of one brave woman, one brave woman, this heroic young woman, whose actions may have saved countless lives. This is security footage from inside. Here, two unarmed employees take a stand against the attack, fighting back with chairs and furniture, and while one employee subdues the gunman, the other escapes to look for help. Well, I remember seeing her. I mean, she came into where we were. I was hiding under my desk, shot in my arm, and she came running out of the conference room. She came into the trading room, which I guess was smart because they already wiped us out and had moved on, so. She makes her way to the fire exit, only to discover the door has been chained shut. They chained all the fire doors shut so people couldn't get out. She sees they locked the fire exit, and I guess she calls 911. 911, what's your emergency? I'm on the 32nd floor of the Pierce Henry building. And instead of hiding or playing dead, she risked calling 911 to keep authorities up to date. When another gunman re-enters the room... They're chaining the fire exit shut and... And one of them came back and started shooting. Totally had her, like, right in the line of fire. But he missed her, but then he hit the chain on the door. And he broke it, and it just fell off couldn't believe that it happened. It was, like, meant to be or something. And then he ran out of bullets. He ran to reload, and she took off into the stairwell. Once she made it to the stairwell, I thought, 
she'll get out. Someone's gonna get out. She runs into the stairwell. And again, bad luck turns into good luck. And this is unbelievable. And you are not gonna believe this. She slips on a step, falls. She lands on the platform right as the gunman is entering the stairway. But because of a coincidence of how the door opens and how she landed, the gunman never sees her as he goes down the steps. With the gunman now below her blocking the exit, she leaves the stairway. It seemed like fate to me. Uh, two gunmen had just quickly swept the whole floor, just shooting everyone they could see as fast as they could. I'd been shot twice. He'd grazed my head with one bullet. The other one got both of my legs, you know, through and through both, but especially in my left, I couldn't walk. And once they did that, one of them had left, and the other one was going around just finishing everyone off. I was crawling my way down the hall trying to find a hiding place. I could hear the gunshots coming from just down the hall, and then she came out of the door in the stairway. I told her that she needed to hide, and she asked where, and I said, there's a closet just down there, because I knew that there was a tiny closet where all the phone connections were, and I said, but I can't make it. And she grabbed me under my arms, and she pulled me into it. And when we got inside, I was amazed to discover we could lock this closet. I thought that we were safe. They were not safe. As they waited in the closet applying pressure to Henry's wounds, they heard more gunshots continually getting closer. We didn't hear him walk up, but we heard the shots, you know, coming in our direction. And then we heard the doorknob rattle as he tried to open it. And then he fired three shots through the door. Bang, bang, bang. And somehow all of them missed. They stayed in the closet for what Henry estimates was 10 minutes until all they hear is silence. She asked me if I was okay, and I told her, um, no, I'm, I'm getting worse. And she said, I'm going to go get help. I, just, I didn't even try to stop her. Uh, I said, please, please hurry. And she shut the door behind her, and I heard the door shut, which I assume was her going into the stairway. <sighs> and that's when I heard the first bomb explode. In their final act, the terrorists waited until police were entering the building and then exploded suicide vests in the emergency stairwells. It was like, boom, and then a minute later, another one. The lights were flickering and the walls were shaking and there was debris everywhere and dust. You couldn't see anything. I'd say most people were still worried that there was a shooter on the floor, so people are trying very hard not to make any more noise at that point if they were still alive. I just said to myself, there's just no way I'm gonna get out of here. It just didn't seem possible that any of us were gonna survive this. I didn't think any of us were gonna survive that. But from the chaos comes a voice of hope. Comes a voice of hope. Someone's coming out. Is that a terrorist? The woman survived. Ma'am, are you okay? Oh, there's blood on the arm. Scratch my wrist, it's fine. The, the gunmen are all dead. The stairway on the northwest corner has 
a bunch of debris on it, but you can get through. Please sit down. Let me look There's you a over. man in the phone closet on the seventh floor. He's hurt really bad. He needs help. I need a police officer. Calm down. You might be hurt and don't even know it. I think I'm okay. Is my dad here? He's right here. I'm right here, button. Everything's okay now. I didn't I didn't think I'd make it. You will always find a way out. And you're safe now. It's all over. You're safe. You're safe. You're safe. You're safe. Hey, Stalert! I'm good. Okay. Get ready. Get ready, get ready. Go! That was an occurrence at BE Investments, inspired by the story, an occurrence at Out Creek Bridge by Ambrose Beers. And it was written and produced by Andrew Wardlaw. So the difficulty you get with bringing something like an occurrence at Out Creek Bridge into the modern era is not just story structure. We have a, a non-linear story that revolves around a fantasy that the main character has as they're dying, but also the weight of the moment as well. An occurrence at Out Creek Bridge takes place during the Civil War, so when you bring it into the modern era, you want to bring that weight with you. And that is what we did here, and I, I think it was pretty effective. I'm Jacob Haddon, editor of Lamplight Magazine. The Lamplight Radio Play is produced by Andrew Wardlaw and myself. You can follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or direct on the website, lamplightmagazine.com. This episode of the Lamplight Radio Play is dedicated to the late Danny Grossman, whose talent, generosity, and enthusiasm inspired everyone who met him. He is greatly missed. So that was from Lamplight Magazine, which features quiet horror, or horror without the tropes. They adapt some of their pieces into radio plays. You just listen to one. You can subscribe to their podcast and all the podcasts featured in this episode using the links in the show notes. Now, let's keep the show going. Hey there, I'm Dylan from Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. I hope you are doing well. This video is a preview of what Paranormal Thoughts Podcast is to give you an overview of what we do here. Paranormal Thoughts Podcast exploring the world of paranormal events through real people's accounts. What makes this podcast different from others in the same category is that we hear from the everyday experiencer. We want to give people a voice to express their views, emotions, and stories on the paranormal. We speak on topics from alien abduction, UFO sightings, hauntings, cryptids, myths, and conspiracy theories. One of the ongoing segments we have here on the podcast is Interview with an Abductee. This is where we speak with everyday people who claim to have had an alien abduction experience. You'll hear from some of these people in this next short preview. The podcast is available for download or for streaming on all podcast hosting websites. My name is Caleb Booker. I am a working psychic. From uh, aliens' perspective, everybody kind of agrees, yeah, probably nobody wants to talk about a personal experience unless they have like an uncle who saw something fly by one day. It's still a very strange thing. I reached out to you, Dylan, because I had this itch. I get insights about everybody's life but my own. I don't really know what's coming up for me. And uh, the other day I had this notion, hey, you know what, Caleb, it's time to start talking about aliens and your connection with uh, alien life. And it was this short, roundish alien with lots of wrinkles on their face, working through the soles of someone's feet with these threads, these glowing white threads. And I looked at that and went, oh my God, that's that's it, that's it. That's what happened. At that time, I decided to get back inside. And then suddenly there was this, like a flash of light right in front of my face. 
It's like a camera going off in your face. And I found myself, I was walking down a hallway, kind of a dimly lit hallway. It wasn't dark, but it wasn't bright at the same time. And I was, it was involuntary. I could only move my eyes. But even though I, I could still see out of the corners, and I saw there were two of them on either side of me, graves. I was just terrified out of my mind. I was, I couldn't speak or anything. And that's when I heard a voice in my head say, everything will be fine as long as you cooperate with us. I was being spoken to telepathically. The Mothman shows up in November of 1966 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The first sighting is from five men who are preparing a grave in a cemetery. The five of them see this man-like creature just take off. And this is what happens a lot too in Mothman reports that the wings don't flap when the creature takes off. It's just a flotation, almost just like a helicopter taking off. And they do claim to report hearing the wings flap afterwards, but they don't see the wings movement. It is to that point where it is almost supernatural or just something we don't understand. My name's Reverend James. Hey, there's a famous incident from around here from about 1997, where an object the size of a Walmart floated over a small town called Stephenville, Texas. Two men, black uniforms, white shirts, black ties, black fedoras, and they were like, would you mind if we look around? My group went into the old hospital in the jail. We're in there, 15 of us. We're on the second floor of the building, and then we hear these footsteps coming up the stairs down the other end of the hall. And very clear, very slow, pretty heavy. We all heard it, we all just looked at each other. It was just one of those moments where it's just like, no way. I'm Chaz Tally. I founded the Space Coast Paranormal Society. We had a kid. He had been through a whole lot. He was seeing shadow people, which we've had an increase of reports of shadow people. But he was seeing a shadow man with a hat on and, as he claimed, shiny shoes. And it was scaring him so bad that this poor kid built a safe space in his closet. He would see it and run to his closet and hide in there like all night. We actually got an EVP where I had asked Dad, do you know that you're scaring the kid? It actually said, sorry, you don't have to worry. What I think is great about Yowies is, like in America as well, the concept goes back to Native Americans, just like here. Indigenous Australians all around the country have had exact same claims. Depending on where the tribes lived throughout the country, they had different languages. But when they translate what they called a Yowie, it all meant the exact same thing. Hairy tall man. So whatever these creatures are, they were being seen hundreds of years ago. BFRO, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, is touted as like the world's premier and foremost and only Bigfoot organization doing scientific research. Uh, there's this town called Incline Village when you go into town from Reno, where I live. This guy and his father were driving along the road and they saw something crossed and ran back up into the hills. And this was at five in the morning. You know, they saw it run across from, I believe, left to right. So from the beach side up into the hills and they rolled their windows down and said that they could hear something howling. Kind of a dim blue light. It's kind of hard to explain what it looked like. It wasn't moving, it wasn't pulsating. It was just a solid kind of dim blue glow coming through the window. And in front of the window was a silhouette. Uh, it was not a typical gray silhouette as most people identify. And of course, everyone's seen drawings and pictures of grays. It did not look like that, but its head was flat and elongated, almost in a Y shape if you took the two tips of the Y and kind of bent them flat. I don't remember exactly how long I looked at it or how long I stared at it, but it began to move it started to rock back and forth and I couldn't tell if it was coming towards me or what it was doing but it started rocking back and forth I immediately got extremely frightened I do remember that I turned around ran back into my room and covered up with the sheet and I remember like hiding my head below my pillow then I just uh, nothing 
like I actually remember there being nothing. I was almost like I hate to say a black void because it, it's, it wasn't even really a color. It was just not being anywhere. For all of this and more, jump onto any podcasting server and search Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn, just to name a few. Or you can always just Google Paranormal Thoughts Podcast and one of those many options will come up for you. Thanks for your time, and I hope to catch you in a podcast episode soon. So that was Dylan Stewart with the Paranormal Thoughts Podcast out of Brisbane, Australia. Oh, shit. What the fuck? I tripped the alarm. Where's the knife? I don't know. Turn that off. I'm trying. Where's the fucking knife? You just had it. Ah, oh, fuck it. Seth yanked out a thin yellow wire, and the alarm abruptly shut off. Piece of shit. Shit! Seth started scrambling. He taped the power wires back together. He ripped the tape off of the one starter wire and began tapping the other two wires together. Nothing happened. No. No. Fuck! I stood to see Katie by the cabin, looking our way. She pointed past us. I turned around to see the creature running right for me. David! I pushed Seth into the car. He screamed as I jumped onto his leg. I slammed the driver's side door just as the creature reached us. It reached in through the broken window. I grabbed a hammer out of the tool bag and started swinging wildly. Get the, get the knife! Get the fucking knife! The creature grabbed my leg. I kicked wildly as it tried to pull me out through the window. Its other scrawny arm grabbed at my chest. David! I quickly flipped the hammer around in my hand and swung. I nailed the creature right in the face as it tried to bite down on my leg. It fell back from the blow. Now was our chance. Jen ran to the passenger door, opened it, and yanked Seth out. I slid out after him. The creature jumped onto the roof of the camera and slashed at my face. David! Go! Go! Jen pulled Seth up and they ran back to the cabin. Luckily for them, not for me, the creature didn't give chase. It fixated on me. It jumped onto the van's roof. I dove onto the ground and rolled under the vehicle. I have to make it back to the cabin. to make a run for it. I held the hammer close. Shit. Shit. Oh, fuck. The stomping on the roof stopped. Where was it? I looked to the left and then the right. Nothing. I looked forward. Nothing. Fuck. Then I felt a slight brush on my leg. Oh shit! Ah! The 
creature snatched my ankle and pulled. I dug my hands into the grass and dirt. No, 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 no! I was being yanked out from underneath the van. I twisted onto my side and kicked wildly. As hard as I could. I reached up and grabbed onto the rear axle. The bottom part of my body exposed. I had been kicked. Able to hit the creature right in the face. It stumbled back. Now was my chance. I rolled out from under the van, jumped up, and ran. So that was a clip from Paralyzed by Robert Lamb, and I think it's one of the few real action scenes that I've ever heard in audio format. Uh, so Paralyzed is a serialized horror fiction story about a man with sleep paralysis going on his annual camping trip with friends. So we've got one more piece. This one is less produced. It's more of just a campfire story. Uh, and it's, I think it's interesting to think about why, why it is that the ghost story is one of the only forms of oral storytelling that survived into the modern age. Um, and I wonder if maybe, you know, creepy stories are somehow particularly suited for podcasting. I worked as a painter for about two years in Florida when I was 19 years old. We had a job in a mall painting a ceiling from a flood that happened. I really never felt comfortable with heights, but it was a huge part of the job, and I had to get used to it. As I was working, I slipped off the scaffolding and fell about two stories. After that, I decided to go back to college like all my friends did. I thought I couldn't do this my whole life. I took up criminal justice and got my degree and became a cop. I moved to Vegas when I was about 25 years old because I received a great job offer. I saved my money and bought a nice house. I had no kids and no wife at the time, but I did have dogs to keep me company. I really enjoyed my job and loved Vegas a lot. At age 29, I finally met someone that really meant the world to me, so I decided to ask her to marry me. She said yes. We were great for a long time until I hit about 35 when she wanted kids. And we tried and tried with no luck. We saw doctor after doctor. I was unable to have kids, and it eventually ended our marriage. I fell in the deep depression after that, and never was the same. I started having real bad dreams that I was going to die in a plane crash. Eventually, I was on meds. Tons of medication. It really did the trick. At age 42, I made captain of the police department. This is when shit got weird. One night, I was working late in my office, doing paperwork. I kept hearing a little girl crying. I didn't know where it was coming from. I eventually tracked it down to a stairwell. I opened the door for the stairwell and I saw the girl sitting there. She had a hat on, a dress. She looked about four years old. Then everything went black. I woke up in the hospital in complete disbelief when I saw my mom right beside me. I started freaking out. The thing is, my mom died six years ago. The doctors came into the room and said I had a really bad fall off a ladder, and they had to put me in a coma for three days. I was 19 years old again. Everything that had happened was a glitch. 23 years of my life I lived in three days. I can remember every single detail from those 23 years, from my marriage, to the death of my parents, to my dogs, to conversations I had, bathroom breaks, 
every single thing. It was 100% real. I must have traveled in a paradox universe or something. I had to talk to countless psychiatrists after this. I still don't have answers for what happened to me or even if it was real. All I know is that 23 years of my life went by in three days. I don't know if anything's going to play out how it did in my supposed dream, but this happened six months ago, so I have to wait to find out. Thanks for listening. All right, that was A Glitch in Life, written and narrated by Joseph Katane from his podcast, Kevin Nightmare Stories. I like that name. It's very uh, to the point. Um, and this has been Selects. Uh, so thanks to everyone who submitted a piece. I tried to keep this episode on the shorter end, uh, but there are a lot of good pieces, so it's hard to, to pick. Um, if you're a creator and you want to submit your show to be featured on Selects, go to our website, selects.show. And if you're the fan of some independent podcast that you think a lot more people should listen to, uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter at SelectsPod or email me at SelectsPod at gmail.com to suggest it. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I know a lot of podcasters tell you to review their podcasts, but I'll tell you what they don't tell you. Uh, you can't just give five stars and not write anything. If you want your review to show up, you got to put some text in that box. Uh, so leave a five-star review, and if you can't think of something to say, uh, tell me what indie podcast you've been listening to. I'm really curious. Always looking to listen to new stuff myself. Um, yeah, thanks, and uh, have a great day. Bye.